This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Today's uh, text is Genesis 37, uh, 1 through 11. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. Thanks, Matt. Good morning, Antioch, and welcome all of you who are here with us uh, physically and those who are with us virtually, whatever that means for you. So we are finally at the place where we're going to walk with Joseph from the pit to the prison to the palace Except for a minor detour with Judah and Tamar, I'm not sure how I'm going to preach that in a couple of weeks, but uh, we'll have to figure that one out. It's a pretty, uh, pretty nasty story. So we've entered uh, the Joseph section, and it's the longest part, right? We, I told you this last week. This is the longest part of the book of, of Genesis, and yet compared to the other three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were the patriarchs, uh, J- Joseph is the least mentioned in the New Testament, now, he's talked about some in the, in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, not very much. Why is he such an important figure in the Bible? I like what David Guzik wrote about this. He said, Enoch shows the walk of faith, Noah the perseverance of faith, Abraham the obedience of faith, Isaac the power of faith, Jacob the discipline of faith, and Joseph shows the triumph of faith. Now, I, I like that, uh, that picture because we are going to see Joseph through much suffering triumph because God's hand is on him and he is with him. This story has been called a masterpiece. It's a masterful narrative, the story of Joseph. Many books have been written about it, many plots that take a very similar theme. And of course, how many know the name Weber and Rice? They wrote an oratorio for children back in the 60s, and it was so popular among children's choirs that they said, maybe we can make this into a musical, and they did. And it's called the Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And it does a pretty good job of telling the story of Joseph without uh, too much 
uh, interference with the text. And, of course, it became a smash hit in London, around the world. And it was one of my favorite shows that I performed in with the gallery players back in the 80s, long, long time ago. Now, we've talked a little about types in the Old Testament. What does it mean that, that Jesus, or, or there, there are types of Jesus in the Old Testament, things that point us to the person and the plan of Jesus Christ? Uh, remember, we said that Noah's Ark was a type of Christ. But types can be people, but they can also be places or even things. Noah's Ark was a type of Christ. Why? Because all who ran to it and went into it and entered into it were saved. And in fact, no one else was saved except those who entered into the ark. And that's the way it is with Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father except through me. And we see that Joseph also is a type of Christ. Uh, partly because the world is going to come to him during the famine to be saved. The people of God are going to come to him in the famine to be saved. Yeah, this is God's, God's mechanism to get his people from Canaan and into Egypt where they will be enslaved for 400 years. That's part of God's plan because without the enslavement, we couldn't have the exodus. And God's glory is seen in that as well. I like what James Comer wrote this about Joseph as well. He said, uh, not James Comer, James Boyce. He said, he was loved and hated, favored and abused, tempted and trusted, exalted and abased. Yet at no point in the 110-year life of Joseph did he ever seem to get his eyes off God or cease to trust him. Adversity did not harden his character. Prosperity did not ruin him. He was the same in private as in public. He was a truly great man. And he points us to the person of Jesus Christ. Joseph was certainly not perfect. We see that even in this first passage. He was not perfect. And yet, he, he, his life is a powerful picture that points us to the sacrifice and the uh, suffering and the ultimate offering of a life uh, of the man who was perfect, Jesus Christ, and is perfect. Others have pointed out that Joseph, though he's not mentioned in the New Testament, his name is, right? Uh, the, the name Joseph is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Who was Joseph to Jesus? <laughs> it's not a hard question, guys. It was his father. His father was Joseph, right? The earthly father of Joseph. Ro Roland Warren wrote this about the two Josephs in Jesus' life. One was present at his birth, and one was present at his death. Warren wrote that both of the Josephs adopted one who was considered illegitimate. The Joseph of Nazareth was adopted... Uh, or Joseph of Nazareth adopted Mary's son as his own. Jesus was not Joseph's son. We know that. He was born of the Holy Spirit, a miracle birth. And yet he adopted him as his own and raised him to be his son, to be a carpenter like his father. And Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body down from the cross. And in those days, if you were crucified and no one claimed your body, then you were considered illegitimate from birth. All that's to say, God called on three Josephs in the Bible to play very important roles. So let's begin our look at this Joseph under two main points. Jacob's favoritism and Joseph's dreams. Now, the scene opens with 17-year-old Joseph in the fields, and he's with four of his brothers, Dan and Naphtali, who are the sons of Bilhah, and Gad and Asher, who are the sons of Zilpah. And these four may be considered second-string sons. Right, because they were sons of secondary wives. If these were the least favored sons of Joseph, 
then it's interesting, I mean, of Jacob, then it's interesting that Joseph, perhaps the favorite son, in fact, he was the favorite son of his favorite wife, was put to work with them. That seems like a recipe for disaster. Well, apparently it was because he wasn't out there very long, Moses says, but, but that something bad happened. These four brothers, who were the secondary brother, uh, sons, did something evil. Now, Moses doesn't tell us what it was. He doesn't report on them what it was, but Joseph reported, didn't he? He brought back an evil, a bad report. Verse 2, Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, if we're going to count Joseph out at the batter's box, this is his first strike, right? This is his first strike against Moses. Moses doesn't tell us what the four did. He did not tell us how Jacob reacted. He did not tell us how the four responded to Joseph after this. But there are two ways of looking at this. On the one hand, when a child of yours comes to you with a bad report of another child of yours, what sometimes do we say to the child who brought the bad report? Don't be a... (laughs) Everybody knows that word. Don't be a tattletale, right? It's not your job to police your siblings. I'm in charge of that. Your mom and I are in charge of that. That's not your job. You know, the interesting thing, Tattletale came from a a publication in the 1500s called Tattler, which came to mean idle talk or gossip. Idle talker or gossip was someone who tattled. So Moses, but Moses doesn't comment. He doesn't say, Joseph brought a bad report on his brothers and it it was looked upon with disfavor by uh, all around. He doesn't say, he doesn't commentate. There's no editorializing here. Moses just simply says, He brought a bad report. The other side then is maybe he's not a tattletale. It was naive of him to do this and probably not a a, a lot of wisdom behind that. But what maybe what was his motive? What was Joseph doing here? Well, some would say he was thinking of his father and not his brothers. I like what uh, Kidna wrote. He said, it's at least presumable that Joseph's first duty was to his father. He was being a faithful son to his father to tell him what these other sons were doing so as the father could take that matter uh, under his own care. Alan Ross said those who would be leaders must prove faithful in smaller responsibilities. Maybe this report, if we're going to give Joseph the benefit of the doubt here, maybe this report was a glimpse at Joseph's heart, which seems to be a pure heart, as compared to his brother's hearts, because Joseph has a motivation to serve his father, to submit to his father, and to please his father, unlike his brothers. His desire is to live a righteous life, theirs not so much. So if this was strike one for Joseph, Jacob threw strike two, right? By openly displaying his love for Joseph above his brother's. Very clearly, it says, Moses wrote, Joseph was his favorite. Among all the brothers, Joseph was his favorite. Do you have to shake your head a little bit at this? Right? I mean, can we remember how favoritism has been such a harmful thing in this family for so long? Can you go back to when uh, Esau was his father's favorite, Isaac? Loved Esau more than Jacob. He was his favorite. And of course, Jacob was Rebekah's favorite. So dad loved Esau. Mom loved Jacob. 
And, and that set this, this tension between these two boys that would, would result in ultimately in Jacob running for his life from Esau, separating from his family for 20 years, and never seeing his mother again. Would it have happened had there not been favoritism in the family? And if that didn't remind Jacob of how dangerous that was, doesn't he remember the favoritism he had in his own marriage? He had a favorite wife, didn't he? He loved Rachel. He did not really love Leah, and she knew that, and that's why she was so anxious to have boys for him that maybe, maybe now he will love me, she said. And so it just didn't seem to register. And this generational sin, guys, there are generational sins. We saw lying in Abraham and and in Isaac and in Jacob, and now we see favoritism in Isaac and Jacob. And, and it's, not going to, it's not going to be a good thing unless we deal with those generational uh, sins in this generation. We can say, by God's grace, I'm going to be the one in this generation who ends this generational sin. I'm not going to do the same things my father did, my grandfather, or down the, down the line. Well, the only, the, the, the only thing I can understand here is that is that Joseph or Jacob did just ignored that and he loved Joseph more because it says he was the son of his old age. But wait, wouldn't that be Benjamin? <laughs> right? The only explanation I've read for this is that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son in his old age. He's already old. And that in Joseph he saw an exceptional maturity and leadership quality that he did not see in his other sons. And of course Benjamin is still young. Either way, when Jacob brought out the robe of many, co- of many colors, and that word can refer to many colors, but also can refer to simply a tunic that had long sleeves. And this was a garment primarily worn by royalty uh, in the Old Testament and in that culture. When he brought that out and he placed it on Joseph and probably kissed him on both cheeks, the ten older brothers watched and strike two sizzled across the plate. If you want to change the metaphor, the knife was in and now it was twisted with these older brothers. And the narrator says the brothers hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. You ever felt that way about a sibling or anybody else? You hated that person so much that you did not know how to even say good morning to them without a grimace or without a tone or without a growl of some kind, right? Good morning sounds like I hate you when you say it to that person. And that's the way the brothers felt about about Joseph. It's interesting, Nahum Sarna interpreted this verse differently. He says they could not abide his friendly speech. So maybe Joseph knew, right, intuitively he knew, this is not good. Dad loves me more than them. He's given me a gift. He's not given to my siblings. This is not good. Hey, guys, listen, you know, this is not about me. I, I really want to, I want to, you know, and maybe he was trying to speak peacefully to them, and they were having none of it. We don't know. Well, that leads us to strike three. That happens with Joseph's dreams. Those look like pumpkins, but they're really sheaves bowing down in a field. Don't hate. So we have seen dreams in Genesis already, haven't we? We've seen dreams before. Abimelech uh, had a dream. God said, "Well, you're a dead man for having that woman in your harem, right? 
God spoke to Jacob in a dream. God spoke to Laban in a dream. But with Joseph, God speaks primarily with pictures. And we'll see that carried on in Egypt with a pharaoh. And so the dreams that Joseph has is not God speaking to him, but he had a dream. And he saw something in his dream, and he thought, wow, this is really interesting. The first was a pastoral setting. It's a wheat field. And he and his brothers were binding sheaves of wheat, as they would do. And Joseph comes and excitedly tells his brothers, hey, guys, you won't believe this, right? So my, my sheaves stood up, and all of your sheaves bowed down to me. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> no, that's nuts, right? I added that last part. He may have said that, but they weren't laughing, and they were not amused. And, and, you know, and, and we, again, we see Joseph's naivete, not thinking through how will it sound, me wearing my dad's favorite, you know, me the favorite son, wearing the favorite coat, right? And now I'm going to tell them, guys, in this dream, you bow down to me. Think through these things, Joseph, right? A little bit of naivete, or maybe one, one commentator said, no, it was self-focus. Maybe a little bit of pride there, but we can't, we can't say for sure. Well, they were not amused. And when they heard that, but you know, even though Joseph certainly didn't know it, and his brothers and even Jacob didn't understand it, these dreams are prophetic. So these dreams that Joseph is having, we know this, we've read the whole story, they're God saying, this is what I have planned for you. They confirm God's choice of Joseph to be not just a leader, but a great leader. The first dream has an agricultural theme. We know this will be the catalyst by which Joseph will come to power in Egypt when the Pharaoh has a dream about cattle and heads of grain that only Joseph can interpret. So the brothers respond predictably. They ask, are you indeed to reign over us? Or the way it's written in Hebrew could be translated, you cannot possibly mean that you, you will rule over us. Joseph said nothing, but we know that yes, actually, he will rule over them. The second dream moves from the fields to the heavens. So we go from agriculture uh, to a celestial dream, which Joseph again eagerly tells his brothers. He's not thinking this through. There's some naivete or some self-focus because he tells them, guys, in this dream, you won't believe it, but there were 11 stars. How many brothers are out there in the field? 11. 11 stars, and the sun And the moon bowed down to him. And Moses doesn't have to tell us or doesn't tell us how the brothers responded. We're not told here that they said anything to him then. But we can guess. Their anger is smoldering and it's about ready to burst into flames. And the next time the whole family's together, perhaps that night around the dinner table, right? Joseph tells this dream again to everyone. And Joseph drops his fork And rebukes, uh, uh, Jacob drops his fork and rebukes Joseph. Why? He's incredulous to this. You wonder, I wonder when I heard, when I read this, did Jacob hear the first dream? Because I think if Jacob heard the first dream, he would have gone, sounds about right. These knuckleheads are going to bow down to this one. This is my favorite. He's the man, right? That sounds about right. But this dream. Now he's hearing this dream, and it's not just Joseph's brothers who are bowing down to him, but it's, as, as Jacob says, are you saying that I and your mother will bow down to you as well? That's not going to happen, right? Now you've gone too far. You cannot possibly believe that. 
What did Jacob mean by your mother? Because we know at this point Rachel has died. She died on the way to Canaan and gave birth to Benjamin and died in childbirth. So most believe that he's simply referring to Leah, that Leah would have taken that role as the, the mother to these two boys after Rachel's death. So the brothers have had it now. It may be that even before the next scene in Dothan, they've already begun to plot their brother's demise. They've already begun to conspire to kill or to get rid of Joseph. Their hatred and their jealousy toward him. And again, we see, you know, James talks about where sin is, is born with desire. When, you know, and desire gives birth to, to sin. Sin brings forth death. And, and the desire of the brothers is that this brother of theirs... Uh, would stop talking this way or be removed from him in some way, and it, and it brings forth even a plan to commit murder against his brother. Our hearts are, our hearts are the, the, the uh, place where sin begins, our, our minds and our hearts, and then it can boil up into action, which is deadly. So their act of revenge will certainly be starkly different from Joseph's character. He's not perfect, but he is righteous. God, God will put a righteous and a faithful person in a position of leadership despite jealousy and even hatred others may feel towards that person. Alan Ross again writes, The one who would be a leader must be faithful in discharging the duties at hand no matter what hatred that faithfulness brings. God and those who are spiritually mature will honor it. We talked about that this morning a little bit, and Ben's excellent teaching today on chapter 3 of the book was, you know, can Jesus be true for you but not for me? And is there, is there truth? And where do we find truth? And, of course, we're called as believers and followers of Jesus Christ to be faithful and righteous in discharging our duties as followers of Jesus Christ no matter the results, Right? As Colson used, Chuck Colson used to say, you know, our, our job is to be faithful. God's job is the result, right? William Wilberforce, who fought against slavery for so long, he said, my job is to, is to be faithful. God is the one who's in charge of what results from my faithfulness. What about Jacob? He clearly didn't understand the dream, and he rebuked his son for it. But to his credit, look at that last verse. It says, he kept the saying in mind. He kept the saying in mind. <laughs> it reminded me of Mary, right? Mary did what? She pondered these things in her heart when she heard the reports that she was, she was receiving about her son who would one day uh, save the world, those who come to him by faith. So what do we take away from this passage? Guys, once again... Favoritism from one parent or another toward one child or over others will always, almost always lead to suffering. Growing up is hard enough, right, without adding that burden. <laughs> so let's work really hard as parents not to add the burden of one child being favored over another. Or those of us in our dotage, one grandchild being favored over another, right? Some of you have nodded off, but you know what I'm talking about. Number two. One who is faithful in little is also faithful in much. That's a verse in Luke 16 where Jesus refers to faithfulness and how we handle money. But it's interesting because he goes from money into true riches. He says when we handle money correctly, it will lead us to true riches, which have nothing to do with money, but with steward spiritual stewardship 
and responsibility in God's kingdom. So one of the principles we see at work in Joseph's life all the way through, whether he's a slave, whether he is, is in prison as a prisoner, or whether he is the number two man in the greatest, most powerful kingdom on earth at that time, Egypt, we see him being faithful in the little things and therefore giving, given responsibility in greater things. And that's why we teach our children at very young ages to be faithful in obeying their parents, to be faithful in doing the little chores that they can do so that they can be given responsibility for bigger chores and more responsibility. Handling money, that's an important thing to teach our children. How do you handle money? And, and who owns the money that you have? You know, ultimately, who is the owner of all that we have? And so if we're teaching our children, hey, little things, be faithful with little things, even in the tithe, then we're preparing them perhaps one day to have spiritual responsibilities that they cannot even imagine having been prepared for. But it's those little faithful moments that prepare them for God's plan in their life and ours. Well, we'll see how that works out in Joseph's life as we move forward. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for Joseph and for the way he points us to you. Because as an imperfect follower of God, Lord, he was faithful. And we look to the one who is perfect, the Son of God, who is faithful also through trials and suffering and even the ultimate sacrifice. Raised from the dead on the third day that we might be born again as well. And Lord, we, we pray that you would teach us from this passage today, as simple as it, as it is, uh, to be like you in the simple things and in the great things, Lord. And help us not to look for the great things and, and, and just wait for that when we will start to be faithful. But Lord, help us to be faithful in the, the small tasks, the small responsibilities, the small things you've given us day by day to love one another and to love you, to study the word and to know how to pray and to walk out these things in, in the world around us that desperately needs to know about you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.